welcome everybody on this Thanksgiving Day weekend. Thanks for joining us for the service this morning. Um, if you're a guest here with us today, we're going to do something a little different, something that we don't normally do. So this service will be different than what you normally experience here at CCC. But we've been in a series of studies entitled The Elephant in the Room. And as Johnny said, we've been talking about this issue of sexuality and really wrestling with and trying to think through all the issues and challenges that are associated with that. Thank you. And... As that song talks about, one of the things that we believe at the core is that it is possible to experience freedom from the struggles in this area. Um, Listen to how Jesus introduced himself when he first showed up on the scene in Luke chapter 4. He's quoting from the book of Isaiah. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, much of the Jewish community thought Jesus was going to release them from the bondage that they were under because of Roman rule. And what they didn't realize is that he came to release them from something different, from spiritual bondage, uh, from demons that that oppressed individuals, from emotional bondage, from uh, relational issues, from sin that surrounded them and filled their lives. And he said, Jesus came to free you from those things. And so as we've dived into this issue of sexuality, one of the things we become very aware of is how much this is woven into the fabric of our being, and yet how much it's a difficult, painful struggle, no matter what your journey, and no matter what your story. And what we've looked at over these last few weeks is that even if you maybe were um, a virgin before you were married and you have not been involved sexually with anyone other than your spouse, you're still dealing and wrestling with issues of temptation and struggle and sin in this arena. No one is excused from it. And so what we've chosen to do over these last few weeks is to talk about the elephant in the room. And this morning we're going to take and answer some questions that you've submitted to us that we want to talk through this morning. I'm going to talk through the questions on the issues of sexuality. Uh, Denny Foreman, who was here with us a few weeks, is going to talk about the issues of homosexuality and same-sex attraction. And then we have some video clips that uh, JR has provided for us to address issues of pornography. And you haven't been here with us for any of these messages. They're all available online at our website, cocalco.church, and go to the message tab And you can listen to those and get connected with some of those over the past few weeks. So let's go ahead and dive in. The first subject that we want to talk about is the issue of of sexuality. So here's some of the questions that came in on that subject. The first one is, if if I've been sexually active, how and when should I tell the person I'm currently dating about my past? Well, this um, this is a question that there really isn't a rubber stamp issue to. It's something that needs to unfold organically in a relationship. Um, but that's not the most important part of the relationship. Is it part of it? Your past? We all have a past. We all have a story. Yes, but it's not the most important. Um, For you beginning a relationship, is this someone that I might want to commit my life to and spend the rest of my life with? But as you get clarity about that issue, yes, it is important to share your past and share your story. Um, You'll discover if you're connected to that person, if if you're younger, Uh, Maybe out of high school or college, it's going to take you a little longer to figure out this is someone I want to spend my life with. If you're a little bit older, um, you'll know that a lot more quicker, but to enter that and look at that. And and the truth is, this question is really getting at uh, a bigger issue uh, that this next question surfaces, and that's, if I've I've made some mistakes in in my life sexually, am I damaged goods? Am I damaged goods? No, the question, the second question says this, what happens to me if I've lost my virginity in high school or at some other point in my life? How does God redeem my life? Um, well, the truth is that just because you've made a mistake and had sex before you were married doesn't mean um, that there's something at the core wrong with you if you have a relationship with Jesus. Because God has redeemed you, He has rescued you, He has saved you, and, and you're not damaged goods in the presence of God's grace. And you say, well, now what am I supposed to do? Now what you're supposed to do is decide if I'm going to commit to walking forward in purity. And if I'm going to recognize that Christ is alive in me and I want him to be lived out in my life. Number three says this, what if I'm sexually act? What if I was sexually active before I decided to follow Jesus? How should I deal with the feelings of shame that I'm experiencing? Um, And this is a real battle. This is a real battle. It's really asking the question of, how do I deal with my past? How do I deal with my past, especially in the area of my sexuality? And one way to view this might be that 
that there are two canyons. There's a canyon of your past and there's a canyon of your present. And in the middle, spanning both of those, is the cross and the cross. And the cross changes everything. It literally changes everything. Because a relationship with Jesus allows you freedom from the pain from your past. It allows healing of the pain from your past. I often talk about our past being a scab or a scar. You may have heard me use that analogy. If you have a scab, what do you try to do if you're bumping up against something? You try to what? Protect it, right? So you don't tear that scab open again. But you have a scar, you don't worry about it. And someone says, oh, what's that from? You're like, oh, that's from this is what happened, this is what I did, and this is what happened. You're not embarrassed about it or ashamed about it. It's just the reality of your past. You say, well, then how do I get to the point of my past story not being a scab but being a scar? Well, you get to that place um, by being honest about your past, by bringing that to Jesus and asking for his forgiveness for those things you've done, Um, by seeking forgiveness from others that you've wronged if that's a necessary part of your journey. You might need to get some help from others to navigate this part of your, pro- your experience. But then to recognize that that's your past and what Jesus invites you in is a relationship of the present. And to say, what does it look like for you to follow Jesus right now? Because there's incredible grace on the other side of this canyon of the cross. Um, Bill Wilson said this, the founder of AA, don't regret your past and make it a shut door. Leave it cracked open. Leave it cracked open. See, what God doesn't want is he doesn't want you to attempt to ignore and forget your past because the truth is you can't. No matter how hard you try, you can't. He wants us to learn from our past, to see his redemptive power in our past, and to give us hope for the future moving forward. Here's another question, number four. I know sex before marriage is wrong because God talks about this and he set that boundary. My question is, why is it wrong? What, what harm is in, in it? Especially if a uh, couple that wants to be together. What harm is in that? Um, well, I think most of us would probably agree that the most intimate connection that God wants for us is our relationship with Him. That's the most intimate connection that God wants for us is our relationship with Him. And in that relationship, we get to experience the God of the heavens who sacrificed what He loved most, His one and only Son, for all of mankind. The ultimate demonstration of love. Sacrificing what was most important to him. And he wants us to enter that relationship with him as well. And God says, not only do I want you to have intimacy with me, with with God the Father, but I also want you to have this intimate relationship with other people. You know, with friends, with family members, with coworkers, and, and, and most centrally with someone that you commit your life to. The challenge is is that when you engage sexually with someone before that commitment of marriage, you really violate the intimacy God has designed. Because that's really all about you. And that's why we talked about this issue of pornography. Because pornography, you never connect mentally. um, You never connect intimately. It's a false intimacy. It's a false intimacy. And so... In entering an intimate relationship with someone before the covenant of marriage, before that commitment and promise of marriage, it really is about you. It's not about the other person. You've not prioritized what God says about being others-centered. And we're going to talk about that and what that looks like in just a moment. Another important component of this is the violation of trust that occurs. Um, Someone said this, trust is like fences around your relationship around your relationship. And if you're involved sexually, before you put that fence up, the fence is going to have a hard time getting put up in that area. It's going to keep falling down. It's going to take a lot of work to reestablish that fence because the trust has been violated. And so for the other partner, the question is, when will that fence come down and when will that violation occur again? Here's another question, number five. What should sex look like if one partner is feeling used and abused in this area? If one partner is enjoying something and the other partner is feeling abused, intimacy is being stolen. Intimacy is being stolen. If one partner wants something, the other does not, there's no connection, and no should always, should always be the answer. You know, there's a lot of reasons for no. There's a lot of reasons for no in, in, in a husband-wife relationship. Um, and yet, 
for that no to be honored as an incredible challenge in a close, intimate relationship. I heard someone say, and we've talked about this, that um, sexual intimacy with your spouse may be one of the greatest opportunities for growth in your spiritual journey. You say, what do you mean by John? Isn't if I spend time with God? Yeah, that's a valuable way for you to go grow, but this is the opportunity for you to physically demonstrate sacrifice and selflessness in that relationship. Because ultimately what happens is if someone says no in the relationship, the partner that gets told no can easily move to anger, can easily move to self-loathing or guilting the other person, or eventually to masturbation that we're going to talk about in a minute, or they can move to, maybe I need to sacrifice this for the benefit of my spouse. Maybe I need to be willing to say, to accept their no in this arena of our relationship because of my love and devotion to them. And by the way, those should be thoughts in your head, not words you say. That's not good. Um, You understand what I'm saying there? This issue of feeling abused in a relationship sexually is probably one of the questions I hear most. You say, why do you think that is, John? I'll tell you why it is. It's because guys specifically are taking 1 Corinthians 7 that says your body does not belong to you and trying to manipulate their wives into them getting what they want. And that's the farthest thing from an expression of God's self-sacrificing love that you can experience. And so being willing to honor them, being willing to respect that no, being willing to offer that as a sacrifice, to say, I'm going to put my my spouse's needs before my own, that's what love really is. And that's what God calls us to express. Here's another question. How should a wife respond when a husband does not desire her sexually? The reality is, is that if you're in a marriage relationship and if you're in a committed relationship, over time, things change. Lots of things change in a relationship. Um, responsibilities change. Uh, commitments change, um, appearance change, health changes, all kinds of things change over time. And so the reality is, is that there, there's going to come a time in the relationship where things have changed and things aren't the way they used to be. And so for one partner to wrestle with this, the first thing that needs to happen is there needs to be a conversation to say, can we talk about this issue? Can we talk about this issue? And recognize it's not going to be an easy conversation or uncomfortable conversation, but we need to be willing to pry that can open and say, there's something not right here. Can we talk about this? And if you can't get resolution, we may need to get some outside input on this issue. And these are hard conversations to have happen. They're hard conversations. Um, Many of you know that I went through a recent health issue last, you know, earlier this summer and, and had to start taking all different kinds of medication that the doctor says I have to take. So you don't question the doctor, you just take this medication and then, you know, find out that they were over medicating me. And that's another whole story, you know, and, and all the funky things that it does to your body, you know, I had to navigate some of that this summer in ways I've never had to navigate in my whole life. And, but you have to have conversations about this. You have to talk about this. You have to be able to walk into this and make some sense out of it. And these are hard. These are hard. Um, But leaving these things in the dark will only lead to confusion, assumption, um, anger, and distance. That's where it will lead you. And so the choice is yours, what you're going to do with it. Here's another one. This is a tough one. How should I respond if my kids become sexually active even if I taught them sex before marriage is wrong. Um, This is really, really a hard one. Uh, You know, parents, when this occurs to you, you just want to flip out on them. You just want to, you know, try to set the record straight. The problem is, is that when they get a taste of that, it's very hard to turn that off. Um, But what you need to do is you need to restrain your own anger and you need to ask yourself, why am I angry? That's what you need to ask yourself. You need to process that internally. And then as you interact with your um, students or young adults, you need to not bring guilt and shame into the conversation and your own anger. But you need to talk to them about what's going on in their hearts because they're longing for an intimacy that's not their intimacy with God. 
They're longing for an intimacy with another person that God has said, not yet. Not yet. And that's where the conversation needs to go. Um, you know, teens will say, well, it feels good and we love one another. And the truth is you're never going to change their minds on this. So don't try to change their minds. The truth is to begin this conversation early. And someone said this to me, as you're beginning this conversation early with your students, say, what kind of relationship do you hope to have? And, and hopefully your relationship is a little picture, a little glimpse of what that might be. So you're here and you want to get here. What are you, steps do you think you're going to have to take from here to here? Kind of help them begin to see a path from where they are to where they might want to be at some point in their lives. And the older they get, the clearer that goal will be, and then begin to help them map out steps to move from where they are to where they want to be. One of the things that this series did is it stirred up a lot of questions on all different kind of fronts. And some parents came to me and said, oh my goodness, John, when you showed that video the first week, I realized I'm way behind the eight ball and having this conversation with my kids. And I said, yeah, you are. You better get started, you know. Um, but we want to try to support you and encourage you in this journey. And so um, up on the stage, there's a couple of documents that I want to show you to help you. The first is a timeline. It's called Sexual Integrity. And it basically maps out, based on where your kids are, what kinds of conversations you should be having with them about this issue of their own sexuality. There's plenty of copies up here. Come up and grab one of those to take with you. There's also some resources for you to read if you want to continue to become educated about that arena. The second component that we've navigated, and that's is the area of technology. You know, at what point do I talk to my kids and set some boundaries about the technology that is available to them today? Um, you know, and if you're here and you heard Jr. talk about that, he said, learn from your kids. Learn from your kids. So um, I uh, updated my Instagram account this past week and um, learned some of the new features from one of my kids, you know, about how to do that. So many of you liked my pictures this past weekend, so thank you for doing that, you know. So um, learn from your students. Um, many of them are further down the road than you are, um, and they'll tell you things that they might wish they wouldn't have told you, but you'll, you'll know those things for future um, benefits as well. Here's one last question that uh, came in on this issue. Um, you know, what, what about porn and if my wife is okay with that? And I would say, no, never. No, never. If your wife is saying, or your husband's saying they're okay with that, that's just because they're feeling guilty that you're asking them to do this and they don't want to tell you no. Um, you should never invite another person into this intimate part of your relationship um, unless it's a professional counselor that you've sought help on the outside for it. Um, and so a critical issue to, for you to navigate. You know, and as we talk about this issue, um, I just, I mean, I have to be honest and say to you, I just feel like in my own life, um, I'm just beginning to crack the door in some level of understanding about this. Um, I wish I was able to talk about it a little bit better than I am. Um, because it's such an important issue and something so many individuals and couples are navigating. Um, I hope that we've been able to um, challenge you to not keep these things in secret that are struggles, that you need to engage other people in this with you. Um, guys, that's why we have our nights groups, so it's with other guys. Um, ladies, we're going to talk a little bit about later about this issue for you as well. Um, if you need outside help, we will connect you to individuals that can help you walk through this issue. Um, but don't keep these issues in, in secret because God has designed us to have this intimate relationship with him, our heavenly father. And then he says, I want to give you a taste of what that will be forever in an intimate relationship with another person. And he so longs for us to get a taste of what that is. Well, I want to invite Denny to come on the stage and join me. Uh, Denny was here with us a couple weeks ago um, as we tackled the issues of, um, of same-sex attraction and homosexuality. Again, if you weren't here with us, I encourage you to go onto our website and uh, listen to uh, the messages where Denny shares his life story, and we also look at what the Scripture has to say about these issues. So thank you, Denny, again, for coming back and joining us. Would you well thank Denny for joining us this morning? So. Well, thank you for having me back. Uh, you know, John, as I was sitting there and listening, it, it took me back to a couple of weeks ago, well, actually about a year ago, I was in a men's group, and there was one guy, he'd been there for about three weeks, and I didn't know Jerry very well, uh, but after a while he looked at me and he just blurted out, he said, you know, 
I grew up learning to hate you guys, and I just want to beat up on queers. That's always a great way to start a men's group, I might add. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, thank you very much. Uh, the, uh, but he proceeded to say, he said, but as we've gotten to know each other and as I've listened to you talk, I've discovered that, that my struggles are a lot similar to yours. Mm. And as I was listening to these questions, I thought, man, we could have just merged a lot of these because mm. we're talking about relationships yeah. uh, and how we deal with other people. So yeah. anyhow, yeah. there you go. Thanks, thanks, Denny, for telling us that. So we're going to get started here and uh, see how far we can get on these questions. But uh, the first question is a relational question, um, and it's one that is increasingly um, affecting more and more people. I had a guy come in the lobby and say, this, this, is my, this is my story. He says, I have a brother who's gay. What does loving him well look like? And then how do I guide my kids to understand what's happening with his life and how to love him well. So how could you speak into that issue? Yeah, I want to start with with two parallel passages from Scripture. The first is found in Matthew 22, and the second is in Romans chapter 13. And they basically say the same thing. I'm going to read the first passage. Uh, Jesus is asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And Paul, in his letter to the Romans, repeats that very thing. And he uh, lists a couple of those commandments, like do not commit adultery, etc., etc. And then he says, these are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I purposely read the Matthew passage first because it emphasizes our need to have this close, intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father and in doing so, becoming Christ-like in our relationship with other people, loving other people, uh, even people that we might think are unlovely or, or different from ourselves. As far as how do we explain to our kids, boy, you really started the ball rolling with your uh, information that you had. You cannot start too early to talk about sex with your kids. Uh, I'm a teacher. I work with girls from ages, from grades 6 through 12. And I've discovered that as early as 6th grade, they're talking about being transgender or people they know that are transgendered. Mm -hmm. And, well, what's wrong if another man likes another man? They should be able to get married. Uh, they've got very strong opinions based largely on social media and the media in general. Uh, that's the common thought out there. Uh, but I would revert to that previous answer uh, as we as, as parents, as adult leaders, uh, model our relationship with Christ, loving other people. I'm so thankful for my parents, uh, even though they were incredibly young when I was a child, uh, uh, they were always there for the neighbors. There was never any questions asked. Mm. Uh, if somebody was down and out, they would help out. Mm. Uh, they would take us to church services where there was a broad mixture of, of different races and, and personalities. And I just never... Uh, they modeled love. And I'm so mm. thankful for that. So really, what I think what I hear you saying is instead of segmenting an individual here, just to say, you know, as, as adults and as parents, to be focused on our relationship with Christ and modeling that for our kids. Exactly. And then when questions come up to say, what would, what would Jesus say about loving people who are different than us, and what does that look like? Exactly. And of course, uh, as you were saying earlier, John, just this idea of, of teaching them from an early age what, what sex looks like from a scriptural viewpoint. Uh, God has this wonderful gift for us, and uh, letting our kids know about that. And say we're kind of quiet, and then when we finally decide to have the conversation, they usually could tell us a few things. So it's yeah. yeah. Well, let's jump into another area, Denny, that we talked about is going to become an increasing challenge. Um, and here's the two questions. We'll kind of put these two together and let you speak into those. The first is, I've been invited to attend a gay couple's wedding. Should I attend to show support, or should I not attend and stay on the principles that I do not believe this union is right. And then right behind that is what should I do if I'm asked to participate in the wedding of a gay couple, but I believe it's wrong and sinful. So oh, okay. can you speak into those two? Sure. I'm going to start out with the first one. 
and just give some practical advice. First of all, I would say I wouldn't even presume to tell you what to do. Uh, this is a matter that, that you're going to have to decide uh, prayerfully, consider. I would suggest that you not be selective. How do you react when, uh, I mean, I'm sure you know other people that are married and are getting married and you might have questions about the, whether they should be getting married or not. Uh, so I wouldn't use an invitation to a wedding as a soapbox. Um, however, in saying that, I would just very practical. Uh, weddings are usually wedding invitations are usually sent in the mail, and it's a very simple thing. You either say I can accept or I will not be at your wedding. I've been teaching high school age and college age kids since 1981, and I get. Not so much right now, but I used to be invited to weddings. It was scary how many weddings I was invited to in a year's time. And I would simply say, you know what? I can't go. I didn't even have to do it personally. I could just check the box. Uh, but I'd be prepared if they came back to me and said, well, why, why, why aren't you going to go? Uh, I would say a simple answer to that is simply this. Hey, John, you know I love you and I want God's best for your life. Uh, but these are my principles. This is what I believe the Bible teaches, and I'm, I'm sorry. I hope you will respect that, but I can't go to your wedding. Mm-hmm. A few weeks ago, maybe it was last week that you told the story about the owner of Chick-fil-A. A couple weeks ago, the okay. end of October, yeah. Uh, and, and having this uh, relationship with, with a leader of the gay movement, mm-hmm. and he was uh, he made a point of getting together with this guy, and they got to know each other well. And, and chatted and, and so it might be a, a case where if somebody can't, if you're not going to a wedding, invite them for dinner later on. Uh, invite them to your house. Uh, you know, get to know them. Use it as a, an open door opportunity to present Jesus in a good manner. Let them see Jesus modeled in your life. How about uh, if you get invited to participate? What yeah, that's that a little trickier. <laughs> But I'm going to say can't this. can't just check a box on that one. Yeah, you can't check the box <laughs> on that one. You might want to. But but here's the deal. And, and I don't mean to be rude. I don't mean to be sarcastic or snarky. But my question is, if they know you that well, and they know your principles and what you believe, would they really ask you to be in the wedding party? Uh, how well are you modeling your, your walk with Christ on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Now, again, that was a, that was a pretty glib answer, and, and, and I don't mean to be that. Uh, but again, I think it's a, it's a great case for you to be able to say, you know, this is what I believe the Bible teaches. I believe God considers marriage a beautiful thing. He established it in the Garden of Eden. This is what I believe. Sorry, I can't participate in your wedding, but boy, I'd sure like to get together with you later. So really what I hear you saying is make sure that the relationship is central. Um, and even if the relationship is central, there's going to be differences of opinion on whether I should or shouldn't. And that's okay. We just have to be convinced in our own mind what God wants us to do in this exactly. situation. In fact, there's going to be differences of opinions on lots of things, not just yeah. the marriage. Yeah, so. it's not a black and white. It's, no. a gray, it's a gray. But we're more and more going to be faced with that in our culture exactly. today. So, okay. um, here's a question that comes out of 1 Corinthians 6. And a passage that we talked about, that I talked about when we looked at the passages of Scripture. And the question says this, 1 Corinthians 6 indicates those who are homosexual not inherit the kingdom of God. Is the only way for a homosexual to inherit God's kingdom is through salvation and the repentance of their lifestyle? Yes. This is my favorite question of the day. The easiest one to answer. If you go outside, I have the white PT cruiser, and I do have a vanity plate, and it's 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And it states simply this, and such were some of you. I was in this position, but I'm saved, I'm justified, I'm sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God. I've been adopted into his family. Yes, that is the answer to that question. So let me press into this one a little bit more. So let's say someone does become a Christ follower, but they don't give up the lifestyle right away. Can you speak into that? Yeah, (laughs) here I sit. Uh, this was me for, for, for many, many, many years. Uh, there are other sins that I have to deal with that are still pressing, not as addictive. 
I will I'll be very blunt, and I don't know if I said this when I spoke the other week. This is something that I may have to deal with the rest of my life. Mm. That was hard coming to that uh, because I always felt that, you know, if Jesus could heal a blind man just like that mm-hmm. and people could pick up their beds and walk just like that, why isn't that happening to me? Mm. Uh, and it's been, it's been a journey. Mm. Uh, it's been a, a, a real long, hard journey that I'm still walking. And I've discovered that there are several things that go into that, two that come to mind real quickly. I need to have an ongoing, intimate relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. He has to be my central focus. When I take my eyes off of him, I'm putting myself in real dangerous places. Uh, so there's that. There's the other thing that is the importance of confession. I have a group of three brothers in Christ who I lean on heavily. I will say that as I've grown in my walk, uh, probably not as much as at one point, but uh, reliable Christian men mm-hmm. that I that support me, that's mm-hmm. critical for me. Yeah. And I think what you're hearing is really important because there are times when God seems to remove a struggle from us but like Paul says in the end of 2 Corinthians, he says, I prayed three times for God to remove this. And God chose, said, I'm going to keep it there so that you discover that my grace is what you need yeah. to make it through this. Yeah, those are the times I yell at God a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What's it's hard when he doesn't take those things yeah. away. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard. Um, We've got time for one or two more. So here's another one. Um, what about this idea of nature versus nurture? You know, are, are people involved in a homosexual way of life simply because of their life experiences or are some people that's a struggle that that's a, just a struggle of theirs since they were born? There are tons of books and articles written on this very topic, and I, I know that you have several books on homosexuality that are available that uh, you've suggested, and they all deal with this topic. Uh, when I shared the other week, I, I mentioned this in passing. Uh, my personal take on this, and I think I could prove it scripturally Uh, we are all born with sin natures what my particular sin nature looks like is probably different than many of yours Uh, but it's 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 something that I have had to deal with I've had to bring it to Jesus on a on a regular basis Uh, we don't have to teach our kids how to lie or steal or 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 any of that stuff It's, it's just an innate part of being human and having sin natures. We have a bent towards sinning. And uh, that's my take on that. Yeah, and I think as you and I talk, there, are, there, are certain are, there certainly are um, environmental components that yeah. can lead to that, such as you know, an absentee father, which you share with some of your story. Sure, um, yeah. You know, dominant mother, things like that Definitely. that can contribute to that. But uh, I think most books would... Uh, allude to the the father who may or may not be around, mm-hmm. uh, moms who may be overprotective and domineering. Uh, in my own case, uh, my dad worked a lot. There were six kids. Uh, he worked many times three jobs. I didn't see him. And it took me many, many years before I forgave him for that. I do want to say my dad is my hero. Mm. Uh, my dad is the man... I'm going to get emotional here. My dad's the man that I admire most in the world. Mm. Uh, he's the one that the night that I needed somebody the most wrapped his arms around me and said, you're my son, I'm never letting go. Mm. Uh, but yeah, there are there are indicators that absentee dads uh, can... Can set the stage sure. for that. Yeah, one book that's been very influential just for me to read through is this book, uh, "Same Sex Attraction: The Surprising Plausibility of the Celibate Life." This is a guy who um, raised, raised in a healthy family, mother and father both involved, active faith journey, and he still has these issues that he wrestles with, and he's choosing to honor Christ with his life. And so, um, an excellent read on that particular issue there. So, 
Um, one last question we want to wrap up here with, um, Denny. This is a question that says, I have a friend who is a lesbian, and they say that they love Jesus. But when I try to talk to them about it, they just think I'm judging them. Can you give me some advice on, on that relationship? Yeah, I, I, I think one of the questions that I would have, first of all, I would say, first of all, you're not going to change your mind. Uh, that's not your that's not your job. Your job is to live a Christ-like life in front of her, uh, to walk with Jesus and let her see that. I was telling the, the uh, group that was here earlier, uh, I had a, a good friend that every time I would see him, uh, I'd see him coming and I'd prepare myself because the first question out of his mouth was, uh, what's Jesus doing in your life today? And there were many times I just wanted to say, I don't think anything, but he would press and press and press. And I'm thinking, you know, okay, if this woman is a lesbian and she knows you and she's claiming to be Jesus, ask her, you know, okay, how, you know, how's your walk with Jesus these days? Mm-hmm. I would not go down the path of, of, of trying to change her with, with scripture. It, it usually ends up badly. Do I have time to tell a quick story? Quickly. Quickly, okay. <laughs> Uh, friends of mine had a daughter who came out as, as lesbian and, and the parents came to me and said, you know, what are we supposed to do? And I said, you know, walk in love with her, let the door open, let her know you're praying for her. She knows what you believe. She absolutely knows this. They unfortunately decided to do an intervention of sorts. In fact, to the point of getting the whole family together and almost trying an exorcism. True story. Uh, when this girl went back to college, uh, she went with the LGBT uh, community there, and they now have a restraining order against the parents. They're not even allowed to, to see the girl. Mm-hmm. So don't try and change your lesbian friends. Just keep sharing Jesus with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and if she she's claiming to be a Christian, so make that the, the core of your conversation. Focus of the relationship, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Denny. Would you thank him for sharing his heart? Thank, thank you. you. I appreciate it, brother. Always thank you very much. So. Thank you. If you have additional questions, uh, Denny's email address is going to be there on the screen. Uh, we'll also send that out in our weekly Slice of Life. Um, if you want to follow up with him, I encourage you to do that. He'd love to be able to interact with you as um, as you wrestle through these questions. So... Um, when uh, my friend J.R. Mann was here a couple weeks ago, uh, had some of these questions on the issue of pornography come in, want to give him a chance to share with you some of those. So we're going to play a, a couple of questions on the screen that came to him and let him an- answer them for you this morning. Okay, so uh, the last one, the last question is probably one that no doubt I get asked church to church, community to community, and it's, it has to do with masturbation, right? So right off the bat, it's a funny word, masturbation. It's funny. you got to admit it. Um, but people are always like, right, wrong, what do I do with it? What do I not do with it? You know, what's happening? So nobody talks about masturbation, and then those who say they don't do it are lying, right? That's the deal. So here's the way I want to prop masturbation. I really want, because I, I, I had a guy once come to me and said, you know, I masturbate, but I don't think about anything. And that's crazy talk. I want you to understand that anytime you move in your essence, like your mind or your soul, away from God in self-gratification of any kind, it's not a great idea. Because again, I don't want people swimming in their own vortex solely to themselves, siloed away from the world, right? No solo play in this life. This life is about community. This life is about togetherness. And masturbation is one of those things that we can easily slide in and make nothing about. It's all about ourselves and nothing else. And that self-gratification can definitely lead to places and things and situations in our mind and our souls that we don't want. So, with that said, without making a hard, fast theological rule on it, I'm tapping into your own heart and asking you what's going on with you when it comes to that subject matter. And where are you going in your mind and where are you going in your heart? Okay, hi everybody. It's me, your friendly redhead JR. Question time. Um, This question comes from a 25-year-old female. Um, She says, how does pornography affect women of my generation 
when the men they are interested in dating or are dating are exposed uh, with pornography. Um, it, well, I mean, pornography will affect everyone, but particularly as women who are going to date or are dating men who um, are into pornography, there's obviously going to be an, an intimate or an intimacy disconnection. The, the one thing I want women to focus on is that if a man or a boyfriend or somebody they're dating is using pornography and they find that out, that you don't make it your worst. In other words, you know, you don't let that take away from the wonderful person and woman and woman of God that you are, which is easily done because if you know your boyfriend or somebody that you're attracted to is seeking out that type of situation, you would easily gravitate um, to thinking that something might be wrong with you and there's nothing wrong with you. Again, we have to understand that if um, you're dating um, it's okay to ask the man or the gentleman that you are dating if you're into porn. And I suggest to every woman that is dating, every young woman that's dating, um, that they have that conversation. First date, or even second date for that matter, wherever you're comfortable. But those questions you need to. So at the end of the day, if you feel your worth is being tapped or punched because uh, uh, somebody you're dating or a boyfriend is, or is into it, I can understand that, so that's how it does affect you. But you have to remember, pornography is not your worth, and what that guy is doing or not doing um, should, not, should, should not matter to you as long as your hope is in Christ. So I encourage you all to have that conversation with whoever you're dating. Okay, hi everybody. Another question that came in is, how do you as a spouse um, not allow the effects of pornography weigh into your emotional um, situation? And then how do you reclaim intimacy or even intimate contact with them uh, on, the other side of the, on, a, on the other side of that conversation? Both of those questions are extremely difficult and need a heck of a lot of time, understanding, and conversation. The first part of it, how do you not allow yourself to be affected? I mean, Again, I keep stressing this idea that the more you emote and communicate with another human being about your sorrow and about the things that are happening inside of you as a painful source, the better you will be. Because you're taking power away from anything that, that stops you from God. Remember, God wants us in community with one another. So if you've got a spouse... And, and it's like, and, and, and the pornography issue is like leaking on you or breathing on you. I just want you to get up right now and make sure that you're talking to somebody other than your spouse about what's happening so you can have that ear to bend. The, uh, and, 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 and again, there's prayer, there's study, there are books out there written for spouses in that circumstance that you need to hunt down online. Um, as far as the intimate contact goes with uh, your spouse that's having issues with pornography, that's going to take a heck of a lot of time. And that should be weighted through very slowly, and it should be a process that's communicated with your spouse, and you need to take one step at a time. Generally speaking, I have seen husbands and wives be able to come back together and have wonderful sexual lives with one another once the problem has been dealt with. And what does dealt with mean? It means that there is accountability that's set inside of the marriage, and it means that a spouse that has been dealing with uh, their, their, their husband or wife dealing with it also is getting help. You know, it's not just as easy as like, oh, my husband stops and now we're all happy because in some terms and in some cases, both spouses who, remember, to become one have to understand the effects of all this because a wife who generally has a husband that has a pornography issue is going to feel absolutely deflated and absolutely like she's been, like her worth has been punched around the world a couple times. So husbands, husbands. You've got the porn issue and you're dealing with it. You need to be a little bit more able to listen to your, to your wives. And wives, you've got to be in a position to really uh, make sure you emote what's, what's happening. But again, the intimate connection back into that healthy sexual relationship or back into a sexual relationship is going to take some time. And it's going to take some real careful, intimate steps with one another. Like hand-holding or hugging or just the easy things that would get you more into a situation um, where sex can occur that doesn't seem so forced or pushed. 
So good luck with that. But again, there's plenty of books for spouses when it comes to like really how to handle that. Uh, and there's also groups. I guarantee you there's groups locally, if not regionally, where other wives um, and other spouses are meeting uh, on those damaging effects inside of a relationship. So good luck with that. Another question that came in, um, this, this next question I get asked all the time. Um, and it's, it's how do we as women uh, deal with the emotional devastation of having a boyfriend or husband uh, who is struggling or who has struggled with porn. I mean, here's the thing. The, um, there has to be a heavy concentration on community when it comes to women, uh, spouses, um, that, are, that are dealing with this. Y'all need each other. So women, please get together. Men, if your spouse is, you know, you know, having, uh, you know, issues with pornography too, y'all need to get together, and you really need to talk about the commonality of sorrow. So a lot of people will do this. A lot of people will act and say that we need to get over sorrow, or sorrow has an end, right? It's like, well, next week we'll be less sorrowful, or from a year from now we'll be sorrowful, or let's go to the convention or the conference and we'll get over sorrow. Sorrow is a part of our lives. It is something that we should deal with, and it's something that, as an ongoing thing, we need to understand will be with us. I don't know if people get over this. You know, it's like when a friend dies. I don't know if there's that magic time when everybody all of a sudden jumps up and says, I don't miss him anymore. Having a spouse who is into pornography is devastating, to say the least. But you recognizing that with your sorrow and coming to the table with a good friend, a confidant, a pastor, an accountability partner, a group of women is the thing to share your sorrow. To share your sorrow means you are giving it a path for hope and for strength. So again, I mean, I wish these answers were, you know, I wish there was an answer that just said, hey, it's all going to be good in a week or a month. It's probably not. And what you really do need to do is deal with the sorrow. Don't forget, Jesus, man of sorrow. He gets it. Is sorrow something that can't, like, is sorrow something so devastating that you can't walk out of the house? Absolutely not. Again, it's going to build strength. It's going to build vulnerability and authenticity in your life in order to handle life's storms. So get together, become a group. If you know other women, talk about the sorrow. And then as you talk about the sorrow, I guarantee you, you will find freedom in numbers and strength in numbers as well. One of the things that JR said to me in our church was no different, that he had more conversations with women than men about this issue after church when he was here with us. And so one of the things that we're exploring is we're exploring the possibility of a setting for women whose husbands are dealing with this to come together to be a support and encouragement with one another. So uh, stay tuned for some more details uh, about getting the support that we believe is needed as you seek to navigate this issue. So uh, JR's got a couple more questions for us as we wrap up. Another question comes in from uh, a younger female. Um, you know, maybe you're a teenager, you know, maybe you're 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and it's, and it's uh, hey, what advice do you have for us if we're struggling? So, hey, bottom line is men and women struggle, old, young, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, the average age of people hitting porn right now, female or male, is 12 years old. So we get it. Women tend to be uh, wired just a little bit differently than men. Uh, men tend to go all in on the image and the moving images where women tend to go all in more um, with the thinking of the desire. So erotica is a big deal right now. That's the written form of like romance novels that have heavily uh, you know, laden sexual talk in them. Here's what, I tell, here's what I tell the women. A big part of our society, unfortunately, is framing up women by their beauty, right? By their looks. So women, we understand that you're getting bombarded by all these images and the world is like, yo, what you're really worth is the way you look, your appearance, your appearance from top to bottom, right? And I know that young women struggle with this hardcore. Instagram, Facebook, and, and, and Snapchat make it almost impossible for a young woman to not look and go, oh my gosh, I need to be X, Y, and Z more. And I'm telling you, you don't. Frame your, worth of you, frame your worth for me with your mind, your heart, and your faith, right? That's where you, your worth is. Your worth is not your physical appearance. Yes, it's great to look good, okay? It's great to look good. It's great to have that, that, that look at me, I'm a, I'm a shiny diamond. I got no problem with that. Here's the problem I have. 
Have the problem when the only thing that you're making your life about is that. And dudes do it too, frankly, but I know young ladies are bombarded with it even more. So, if you're struggling and you're a young lady, okay, what I need you to do is first make sure you're telling somebody that it's happening and that you are doing it. And the second thing is really understand that perhaps it might be the evaluation of your worth that's pushing you down the porn aisle. So really take a look at that and understand that. Number one, talk. Number two, really examine what you believe your worth is because your worth should be your faith, your mind, and your faith. Another, question, another great question has to deal with the confines of trust in a relationship. And the question basically is, I know my spouse has these images in his head that are working like a movie. And I find it hard then to trust him and things that are going on. And my, and my senses of forgiveness are also at play. So n number one, it's okay to be angry. Number, It's okay to feel the feelings that you are feeling because there is a sense of betrayal that has happened, and there's no doubt. So, yeah, right away that would spark anger and forgiveness issues and trust issues, like absolutely 100%. So, again, we have to have some common sense. Spiritual common sense says when these things happen to a person, I'm going to be angry, I'm going to have a hard time trusting, and I'm going to have a hard time forgiving. So all those processes need to kind of line up. And how do they line up? Number one, you need accountability with how you're feeling with somebody else. I recommend this. If you're the spouse of somebody who's having porn issues, I want you to make sure that you are having accountability with somebody who can understand what trust is, what forgiveness is, and then all the ideas of intimate connection that come out of those. Because if you're not talking to somebody about not trusting your spouse or not forgiving your spouse, you're going to probably reflect the issues back to yourself. So get accountability for yourself. Number two. Forgiveness will be an ongoing deal. Forgiveness is an ongoing deal because I do agree. When you have a guy or a woman that's got porn floating through their mind and you are in it and you are like, is he thinking about it? Is she thinking about it right now? You know, what, what's happening? You need, to, you need to remember one thing, that forgiveness is for the good of one. So if the two become one inside of our little deal with God and you reach out in forgiveness, basically what it means is this. It means that you're able to focus on going forward with your spouse intimately and in a way that says, I am having trouble with my trust and forgiveness issues. And you need to tell your spouse that. So when I was here, I actually met a couple uh, that were very open about it. And she did say, yo, I have trouble with trust with him. And I said, how often do you tell him? And she kind of looked at me. And as she stared at me, I realized probably not very often. So I'm asking everybody to come to the table very real and very honestly. If you're having trust issues with your spouse, you need to say, I'm having trust issues with you, and you need to talk about it. And you need to get that out instead of sitting on it and let it fester and grow. If you let it fester and grow, you won't forgive. If you forgive, you're saying, I'm going to move on. And if you move on, you got a shot at hope and you got a shot at intimacy. So I'm with you. I feel you. Make sure you're in a position of vulnerability with your trust issues and your forgiveness issues. Don't make it one-sided. Don't just make the relationship about what he or she did only. Also bring it back into your arena too and you'll forgive and trust a lot easier.